This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Keep listening for this week's special discount offer code exclusively for Discovering Trek listeners. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at fansets.com. A friend from the past, a look into the future, and a clear and present danger. Episode 12 of Star Trek Discovery left me sitting on the edge of my sofa with my mouth hanging open as I tried to comprehend what I just witnessed, and Sue can attest that it really happened. At least I was prepared for the return of Talos IV in If Memory Serves, based on that final scene from the previous week. This week, I was taken completely by surprise, and I've never been more excited to see how a season of television wraps up. Welcome aboard, everyone. My name is Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome one and all to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. Control continues to do whatever it can to obtain the sphere data, and as we learned this week, it feels that everyone is expendable to achieve its goal in laying a trap to eliminate who it thinks is the one variable that can thwart its plan, and that even means an entire Section 31 ship's crew. Ouch. As always, this is the premier podcast for the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, entitled Through the Valley of Shadows. There was so much going on in this week's episode, a Star Trek return to Boreth, a reunion between old lovers, a brother-sister bond getting stronger with every passing moment, and a glimpse into the future that would bring even the strongest of men to their knees. This episode was so much more than I could have possibly expected. And you know, there's so much to talk about and there's so many thoughts and emotions going through my pea brain regarding this episode that I need to bring in my trusted podcast partner to help keep me grounded. If he were being challenged by Klingons who answer to no one, I know he would stand his ground to do what's right. Well, at least that's what I see her on the, say here on the podcast to make him look good because we all know he would scurry away like a frightened little rabbit. He is my very special friend, my brother in Trek, and my amazing number one. He is Bill Smith. Bill, before you run off, uh, I saw this episode before you did, and I think it's safe to say that I was chomping at the bit to talk to you about it, and I don't think I've ever been so jacked up about what we've seen in an episode of Trek before. Is that safe to say? That's absolutely safe to say. Thanks for that uh, intro, Dan. Um, I just want to point out that rabbits are soft and fuzzy, so ultimately everybody loves me. They're like triples. Although, how do you know I'm not, I haven't been co-opted by control? You don't know that. Oh, I brought that up last week. It's very possible. It's not, we're still waiting for evidence, but it's still very <laughs> possible. Um, I, I, you, you saw me, you saw my reaction to this episode because I watched it in your general vicinity. Yes. And it's safe to say that I was left dumbfounded. Um, it was one of the, one of the things I hoped I see, but thought I would never see. And the fact that we saw it the way we did was truly just uh, just earth shattering to me. I was wrecked for days. Earth shattering. Uh, you used a description rocked to your core. So many descriptions online about what we saw this week. And I'm sure that people may want to tell us what they thought. So um, how might people get in touch with us to tell us what they thought about what we saw in through the Valley of shadows, buddy. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. You're becoming a master of these segues. I just want to give you some credit there. Your <laughs> your, your segue game has gotten strong, mon frere. Uh, <laughs> Dan, on Twitter, you can find us at Discovering Trek. And on my face place space, you can catch up to us at facebook.com slash Discovering Trek. In either place, you can become part of the discussion. Leave us comments and questions, or perhaps your theories on season two is going to wrap up. I can't wait to hear all of these because we have our theories and we're positive you have yours. Plus, don't forget, you can also send us a voicemail by going to our website at trekgeeks.com and clicking on the giant blue button. Please do remember, though, that any comments you may leave us could be ep- could be episode, mm. could be episode, could be used in a future episode of Discovering Trek. Dan. I'm leaving that in. <laughs> you should. <laughs> you should. Well, thanks, Bill. Black alert. Black alert. 
From here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched Season 2, Episode 12 of Star Trek Discovery, stop listening right now. Head on over to CBS All Access or wherever you watch Discovery. Watch the latest episode, pick yourself up off the floor, head back on over to Discovering Trek, and get ready for a great discussion. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for Through the Valley of Shadows. Trainees, to the briefing room. Bill, as we gather here in the briefing room to start our discussion on this week's episode, we want to get your high-level thoughts, whether it was a thumbs-up or a thumbs-down and why. But before we do that, I just wanted to to say that we're really – very thankful for the amount of emails that we've been getting recently in regards to people's thoughts about what's going on with season two of discovery. I've been getting some amazing, well, we have been getting some amazing emails from uh, listener Christina recently, which has some amazing thoughts about episodes and what she thinks is going to happen. And I wanted to bring out one specific thing that she mentioned a couple of times over the last couple of weeks, which I haven't really thought about, but kind of makes sense. And it's something that's very subtle, I think, in what we're seeing. And that's something called the time storm. Do you remember that being discussed at any time with with uh, Dr. Burnham over uh, the last couple of episodes? Uh, vaguely. Mm. Uh, admittedly, I was concentrating probably on other details. Yeah. Um, I, I, I recall the phrase, um, yeah. but I, I figured that it was probably something that we just hadn't been truly introduced to yet. Yeah, I like the fact that Christina has has focused in on that. She says that, so they mentioned time storm again this week as Michael listened to her mother's log. And I still wonder what that refers to. What type of disturbance would prevent Dr. Burnham from jumping through time? And Captain Pike paid a price for taking the time crystal, as we'll talk about in a few minutes. I know she wasn't the one to take the crystal, but was Dr. Burnham's price being pulled away from her family and time jumping in this fashion? Is that the time storm? It's something that's I wonder if we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, but I, I want to thank Christina for sending all of these amazing thoughts and, um, and long range scans over the last few weeks, keep them coming because they're really great. And uh, we certainly would like to hear from everyone else as to what they think is going on, because there's a lot going on and there's going to be a lot going on in the next two weeks. So back to episode 12, let's start with you, Bill, because it's just you and I this week. Um, I kind of have a feeling that we're still going to be uh, batting a thousand this week. So what did you think for uh, episode 12? Thumbs up. <laughs> I mean, we are 12 for 12 and it's, uh, I've never watched a season of Star Trek where I thought there have been 12 consistently good episodes in a row or any number reaching that, that point, you know, there's, there's usually always a, a snoozer or, you know, one that you're like kind of meh over. No, this season of Star Trek Discovery has been consistent from the get-go. It's been a joy to watch. And even if you don't count the Pike scenes this week, this episode had some fantastic character scenes all on its own. You know, it is a solid entry, and the Pike visit to Boreth is what this episode is going to be remembered for for years and decades to come. I, I absolutely agree. It is a thumbs up for me. And such a thumbs up. Oh, my God, man. Bowie and Erica continue to blow me away with their storytelling. Uh, Every time we see that they are going to be writing an episode, you know it's going to be awesome. This episode had the entire gambit of raw emotion in it in that 46 minutes. It was epic. It was amazing. And it's setting up for what I think will be the red wedding of season two of Discovery. And when I say that, I don't mean that there's going to be a lot of death and, and oh my God, I can't believe that person just got killed. I think that next week is the penultimate episode and the climax of the season is going to happen next week with the wrap up happening the week after. But I think next week is going to be the big one. I think it's going to be huge. And it was all set up with this amazing episode by those two great writers. So definitely a thumbs up for me. I can't disagree with you there. I think that because at least on star Trek.com, they're billing this as a two part season finale. I think that's probably exactly what you're going to see. I think that we'll save some beats for episode 14. I I think they almost have to, but kind of like the way last season wrapped up, you know, um, yeah, there was some stuff that happened in the finale, but a, a good amount of that action and and uh, and the wrap up of things was handled in the episode before. I, I said it at the beginning of the episode. I don't think I've ever been as excited to see what's going to happen in the next 
episode to two episodes. It's it's going to be phenomenal. So let's get to this episode because there was a lot going on. There was a lot of cool stuff going on. And one of the things uh, right from the very get-go and had a major part of the story was the return of Star Trek going to Boreth. Of course, as fans of Star Trek, we know that uh, this planet has been seen before and talked about before in Star Trek The Next Generation. I thought it was good continuity to have Star Trek go to a place that we're familiar with, but at the same time, open up a new chapter in what that planet's all about. What do you think about that? If there's anything I've learned from Star Trek is anytime you see a monastery, it's hiding something else, (laughs) whether it's the Vulcans or now the Klingons. Uh, I thought this is fantastic continuity. It does make me wonder what happens to all those time crystals in next gen's time, because of course they're not mentioned. Um, right. Maybe it just goes back to becoming a, a monastery or perhaps a cloning facility, uh, as we learn later on down the road. Uh, but uh, I liked the fact that we went back there. I liked the fact that there was an element to bring Laurel and Tyler back together because of their son, um, who was to be raised by the, by the monks there. I, I appreciate when they do things like this because it tells us that there are familiar things in the Star Trek universe that can still be used in this time frame. Sure. Um, and I think that's important to, to Star Trek overall. I, I do too. And, and you, you brought up um, Tyler and Laurel's son, uh, uh, Tenevec, as he's now called, son of none. He's all grown up, which was kind of interesting how time really is different at Boreth. Uh, and that he was all grown up after only being there for several weeks. Um, that was something that kind of had me raising my eyebrow, but I liked the way they did it. And you know what else I liked? And I think you liked this as well. It was nice to see Ken Mitchell again playing another Klingon. Um, and I'm watching with my wife, and I'm like, oh, my God, who is that guy? He looks so familiar. It's driving me crazy. Well, I said earlier this season on Discovering Trek, I want Ken Mitchell to play all the Klingons. I want to reach a point where there's like a dozen Klingons in a scene and they're all Ken Mitchell. And we are one step closer to that happening. In fact, I won't be happy until he plays Kalesh himself. <laughs> I, I want, I, I'm starting the, the Ken for Kalesh campaign right now. Oh, that's the Twitter hashtag of the month right there. Because that's got to happen. We need to see this during Discovery's run or in the new Section 31 series when it happens. But we need to see Ken Mitchell as as K-less. That's all I'm saying. That's awesome. Um, let's talk about the time crystals for a second while we're staying on Boreth. It's interesting to me. Now, actually, I'm asking for clarification because I'm not sure if I missed something. It was interesting to me that the Klingons were looking to kill the Burnhams in the past when she had a time or they had a time crystal. They got a whole bunch of time crystals here in Boreth. So did I miss something? Is there a specific reason why they were trying to get that time crystal when they had a whole bunch already? Or or is there something that I'm just not catching with what happened with the story? Because I don't think the Burnhams were supposed to have it. You know, the the, the monks, and I'm using air quotes, which nobody can see, um, on Boreth are, are the timekeepers, or at least they are in this sense. And they're responsible for the the you know the security and the care and feeding, if you will, of those crystals. And somehow the Burnhams got one and they modified it. Okay. Um, and I, I took that to mean, yeah, the Klingons didn't take too kindly of that because I'm guessing they weren't supposed to have it to begin with. Gotcha. And that's what started this whole thing. So however they got it, uh, I'm sure Section 31 had something to do with it. Um, I, I have a feeling that that really is what what caused this whole problem. And I'm going to go back to Leland on this one. That Leland. Jeez. Okay. Oh yeah, let's blame. It's like when you blame me for everything. Let's blame Leland for everything. No, Michelle Specht blames you for everything. That is true. She does blame everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> speaking of the crystals, we touched on this a little bit, and I just want to get a little bit more of your thoughts on it. Is you mentioned that we've never seen the time crystals in the future in TNG when Worf goes there. He's always in his little room with the with why Klingons don't have electricity just escapes me <laughs> um, with this little torch on the wall, and we never see the time crystals. So. There, we, I got to wonder if we'll see the reason why these time crystals are quote air quotes again, like you just used wiped out of, of the story of, in star Trek. Is it because the Klingons even decide that they're too dangerous? Do they just decide they keep them hidden from anybody unless they really need to know them? What are your thoughts on that? Because people always talk about something when you're talking retcon, how it can be established into the regular timeline of star trek so to speak well do do they do they get wiped clean from trek lore or do the klingons just get better at guarding their secrets that's really Mm -hmm. the question here for all we know there could still be time crystals at that monastery and you know the the rank and file klingons have no idea 
because they're not supposed to have any idea. Uh, And by the time we get to next gen, you know, it's not part of that story. So it doesn't necessarily need to be called upon. Um, Or uh, maybe there's a reason yet that we don't know about that. um, We don't hear about those time crystals in the future. So I suppose that will depend. Maybe that happens this season on discovery with two episodes left. Maybe it doesn't, maybe it happens some other time. Or maybe the Klingons just stop telling the world they have time crystals. (laughs) (laughs) I did find it interesting that the Klingons on Boreth don't answer to anybody, even the Chancellor. I thought that was they're they're uh, they're like Section Thirty One, or answer anybody. They're like a cross between Section Thirty One and Vatican City. Sure, Um, you know they are their own sort of independent, you know, um, sovereign place. And they don't and won't answer to the chancellor. I, th- I think that actually is more interesting. I think that it it elevates those Klingons to a higher place in Klingon society, which fascinates me. Mm-hmm. And plus, I want to know more. I mean, this is part of Klingon lore that I, I get fascinated by. You know, it's interesting that we can go back and touch on some of these things and look at them in a different way and perhaps add to that mythos. That's what really gets me excited. Yeah. Well, we're going to leave Boreth for a little while, but I have a feeling we'll be back to talk about it a little bit more in this episode uh, of of Discovering Trek. But let's go and let's talk about Spock and Burnham. This week had a lot of Spock and Burnham together, and it started with just a quick visit of uh, Hollow Amanda in Burnham's quarters. And then Spock walked in and the three of them were there. That scene was very, very touching. I think that scene started this entire episode of a rebonding that we've seen the, the seeds planted in previous episodes. But this week we really saw that bond come together to tell you the truth. After so many years of them not talking because of what happened, they seem to be all happy and good together. Um, as of this episode, especially with what we saw later on against um, control on the section 31 ship. I think we see, or have seen over the last several episodes, Spock and Burnham um, sort of easing their relationship and Spock becoming closer to the Spock that we know, you know, we're, we figure by the, the time we get to the end of his visit here on discovery, he's got to become closer to the Lieutenant Spock. We know of from the cage or maybe some hybrid between that one and the one from TOS. But I, I think that last week was probably the one where we saw Spock really sort of write his course when he, you know, started to get Michael to play chess with him. He essentially tried to do for Michael what Michael tried to do for him, you know, just a, an episode or two before. So uh, I think that we've learned that, you know, he Sp- Spock has compassion. Um, I mean, obviously he does. He's, you know, he's half human, but he he keeps it hidden. But in this case, he's demonstrating it the only way he knows how. And I think that that was really key this week. I, I think that. I think that by the time we say goodbye to Spock this season, it's going to be the visual that you're hoping for, that I'm hoping for, that everybody is hoping for. And uh, I think that he will be well on his way to being, you know, logical Spock. It was nice to see Michael be the better person by not throwing a little hissy fit with the chessboard like Spock did a couple weeks ago. All <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, and I, I thought that, that that opening scene with the three of them, with Amanda saying that she loved both of them and the reaction from both of them, even Spock's reaction was very, very um, interesting and something that I think worked well. I then like the fact that Spock, even though he said that, that Pike uh, said that he needs to go on the mission, went on the mission. Uh, he wants to be there to help Burnham, but I think he wants to be there to protect Burnham uh, also. And I got to say, the entire mission with Section 31 and Spock and um, and Michael was really great. I mean, the entire storyline of that really kept me going. And even if there weren't other things that took place in this episode, this part of the episode was a real showstopper for me. It was great. I agree with you 100%. You know, I um it I mentioned earlier there were just so many great character moments in this episode separate from the whole Pike thing and that's a great example. You know, there is so much here that happens that propels these characters forward. Even if the Pike stuff never happened, I would still thumbs up this episode. Yes. Um because Bowie and Erica as usual did a stellar job writing great character scenes for great characters, which is really what Star Trek is about. It is. Uh, uh, let's focus in on the Section 31 ship and all of the um, passers-by, I guess you could say, <laughs> as the camera kept <laughs> <laughs> Wow. The, uh, the Section 31 sickles? Yes, exactly. Um, I, I really 
enjoyed that whole thing. It, it, it reminded me of the episode Empoch Noir a little bit. Oh, interesting. As we were going through this with the, you know, something's going on. I, I, who did not think something was going to be up with Gant when he showed up? I, I, that was just way too, I was like, okay, you've given him his trust way too soon with everything going on. It was good to see somebody from the past who we hadn't seen since the, uh, the first uh, episode uh, or two of, of discovery. But I was like, uh, something, something not right with this guy. And uh, I think Spock's wrist found out exactly how bad it was. I'll be honest. I, I was a sucker and I bought into it. Did you? Yeah, I did. I, I wasn't expecting him to be Gant bot. I was expecting mm. him to be Gant, you know, um, maybe there's a reason why he survived. Maybe he just got lucky. I don't know. Um, but by the time the reveal came along, I was like, oh, well, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, th- I thought it was I thought it was written well. Uh, you know, yes. I figure if I buy into it, you know, because you and I get super critical about these things because it's part of what we do in the under the guise of podcasting. Right. We enjoy it. But then we also have to sit down and watch this from, well, does this make sense? And I thought that that aspect and that scene was was written well enough where the first time through I was like, oh, cool. Gant's back. Oh, 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 <laughs> Gant. No, no, <laughs> Gant. Not Gant. And then I start calling him not Gant. Not Gant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was really one of the things that we have not really seen very much in any Star Trek series was the horror aspect of something going on. Yeah. I think that's one of the benefits of having a show like this on CBS All Access. They can kind of go uh, a step above to what we're seeing. So we're seeing holes being fired in this guy because he it is Gant. He's just been reanimated, so it's his body. Yeah. And and to be able to see the Wild West aspect of Burnham double shooting phasers, I thought was just awesome. Then we saw that pullback through Gant's body of the hole in his chest, and then that very scary aspect of the of the of control and the nanobots coming at her with that that final moment before it got frozen and magnetized to the floor it kind of looked like a big claw coming at her that was terrifying man i was that was nerve-wracking you know the producers have mentioned both seasons and we've talked about really all season long the feature film quality of this series and it was on display you know completely with this episode in those scenes those are scenes you didn't get on television in the 90s, uh, partly because of budget and partly because of just the ability to do those. I'm pretty sure that if they were shooting the best of both worlds for Star Trek The Next Generation today in 2019, we would get moments like that because they could, because the technology exists and because the budget would be there to do it. Um, that scene in particular where all the uh, the nano whatchamacallits are going for Burnham, nanobots, nanites, whatever they are. Um, that was, I was literally on the edge of my seat because yeah. I'm like, oh, this is not good. And I mean, we obviously know nothing's going to happen to Burnham because she's the star of the show, but it was so tense. I'm like, oh, oh, Spock, Spock, you got to hurry. Oh man, you got to hurry. Um, it was super tense and I thought it was executed insanely well. Speaking of, of Spock, you got to hurry. How Spock-like was the response after the uh, <laughs> nanobots were magnetized? With how sorry it took me so long. And it's basically he's like saying, yeah, I only had one arm because my wrist is broken. Sorry it took me so long. <laughs> it's a great Spock moment because in TOS, Spock had the sarcasm that we're used to. And that's what I thought of. We've got that Spock sarcasm here with that particular scene. And, and again, Ethan Peck. Oh man, we uh, let me go on a little side note as we talk about Spock and, and and Ethan Peck. I was at my sister's this weekend having dinner, and we started watching Star Trek 2009. And I said, you know what? I love Zachary. I don't think he can hold a candle to Ethan Peck right now. Ethan Peck is the Spock that we have been waiting to see. And I it was a it was a huge discussion in the household with my with my nephew Matt over which one was better. I'm not saying Zachary's bad in any stretch of the imagination, but this version of Spock with Ethan Peck is 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 a breath of fresh air for me. I well, you know, I have a hard time comparing the two because Zachary Quinto gets different stuff to do. True. Than Ethan does. You know, Ethan gets you know a series of episodes to build his character, and, and Zachary gets maybe two hours if he's lucky. Good point. You know, the, the uh, plus you know that Spock is is fully formed, if you will, to 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 use a you know a horrible 
you know, a, a dis- description for it. You know, it's, that Spock is in a different place. That Spock is at a different set of life experiences. And for all we know, you know, that Spock never saw a red angel. You know, maybe that Spock never had a half sister or a foster sister named Michael Burnham. Good point. You know, it's entirely possible. So yeah. I, I guess, I guess time will tell uh, if there is a fourth Kelvin timeline movie, which I hope there is. I would love to see Spock get some different stuff to do because um, beyond was pretty fantastic. But Ethan Peck is doing the most amazing job carrying this character forward for new generations. And I have to believe that Leonard Nimoy would be insanely proud. I cannot disagree with that at all. I've seen some things on social media about people saying it's not Spock because it's not Leonard Nimoy. And that's just not true. This is Spock. It, it, we've we've seen it with other characters and other versions of series, and I think Ethan Peck has has done a fantastic job keeping the memory of Leonard Spock alive. Leonard will always be Spock. That Absolutely. is undeniable. It is incontrovertible. He will always be that character in the hearts of every single one of us. However, that doesn't mean that somebody else can't play the role and can't play the role well. Um, you know, there is more, even Leonard believed that Spock was bigger than he was. You know, he said it in many public appearances. I believe he's even said it in, in book form. Um, but there is room for other people to play Spock. I mean, it, it, Leonard thought so because he signed off on Zachary Quinto playing the character. Uh, and so I have to believe that he had enough foresight to know that it, it wouldn't be limited to just Zachary going forward. It would be other people. And I'm sure that that was something that would have excited him. Yeah, I agree. He would have been very proud of, I think, what Ethan is is doing. Um, so let's move along to another topic, and let's talk about the mess hall scene and the sick bay scene because they're kind of tied together. I found it interesting that these scenes were in this episode. I understand that um, there's a lot of of tension in this episode. There's a lot going on. There's the horror I talked about, of course, the Pike stuff, the Red Angel and control, all that. I can appreciate what was being done in these scenes because we do still have to keep that storyline of, of, of Culber and Stamets going. I just didn't know if it was in the right spot to be in this episode. What did you think? I thought that these scenes were okay. I thought we needed a little bit of a downshift from the action, you know, sort of break up the pace and to provide some more, you know, decent character work. Um, I, I liked the both the uh, the mess hall and the sick bay scene. I have to say, I liked Reno a little bit more than I have in their other appearances. Really? However, oh. however, <laughs> um, and I'll get to that the however in just a second. And that's partly because she was actually relating to people and not berating people. I think there's a big difference. You know, in Star Trek, we expect the crew to be a bunch of people who get along based on the Roddenberry rule. You know, the things that were introduced in TOS where, you know, the main cast or the the members of of the Starfleet crew on board the ship couldn't have permanent disagreements. There shouldn't be any conflict between them. And Reno has served to do nothing but create conflict. You know, she's very acerbic. She's very, you know... Uh, aggressive in the way she she deals with people you know she insults them first and then seeks to understand later and that's something that that really i don't think fits star trek and that's why i've been super critical of the character in the past i have no problems with tignataro i love tignataro i just don't like this character in this episode that character is softened a little bit we see her relating to the crew in the mess hall um she gets a little um, sarcastic at times and dealing with Linus, which I thought was very funny, but she also becomes very human in the way she's talking to Stamets. And then later on in sick Bay, I actually loved that scene a great deal because we actually got to know something of Reno. And then the poo line happened, which I thought was uh, with apologies to Bowie and Erica, the worst line in the whole, in the whole episode. It's like, Come on, rhymes with poo. Now I get it. It's a minor thing. And this goes back to my dislike for the character in general. You know, they have to still make that character something of that character. But uh, that was a line that just really didn't sit well with me. It's like, come on. Yeah. Now, now don't get me wrong. I liked the scenes. Yeah. I liked what they were doing for the continuation of the storyline. I just, I was questioning kind of like the placement in it, but I will say, um, Linus 
we we've seen and we've been been um we've ridiculed a little bit how Linus has been seen before the elevator scene right at the beginning of the season with the sneeze and how that was just ridiculous. I like what we saw. This was the first character building we've seen really with Linus. He eats bamboo. He was hatched ready was a great line uh, when he was talking with Tig about the about the um, little contest that they were doing. And I did like that. I liked I did like that Tig has taken it upon herself to try and help Stamets and and Culver in her own way. And I think that if I was to look at the two scenes, the sick bay scene was much more important yes. in terms of depth and and meaning. I loved how they brought a callback to McCoy and the menagerie into this scene by having Tig show up in sick bay with a hangnail. Absolutely, I thought that was wonderful uh, little callback. I thought it was great, and I and even though I kind of. And saying that I'm not sure if it fit right in the episode. I think what she said to Hugh was very important, and we will see something come of that. This was the first time that we've seen Hugh really look up as if he's thinking about what someone's saying to him and not just throwing it out immediately like we saw so many times since his rebirth, so to speak. So it will be very interesting to see what happens in relation to that. Is it going to take place over the next two episodes or is it something that we're not going to see until season three? That's another important question, I think. I think it's going to be all of the above. I think we're going to see it continue to play out as a longer arc for these characters because I don't think they can resolve this in just a season. You know, uh, I got to think that coming back from the dead really changes a guy. Um, (laughs) And I have a feeling that it's going to take more than just a handful of episodes to deal with this. Um, Going back to the Linus thing, we did get a little bit of Linus character in um, In that captain's ready room. Yeah, I think it was in what New Eden. Um, I think so. uh, Or whatever episode that was in. And it was really nice. But this sort of depth that we got from Linus this week, um, although and I think it was our our. Our friend Justin Oser, who noticed this on Twitter, I may have this wrong. Did you notice that Linus's eyes blink two different ways? Yes, I did notice that. I think it's great. I was just going to talk about the way that I love watching him when he blinks because it's so cool because he does it in different directions. <laughs> it's just so cool. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of reminds me of a slee stack a little bit. A little bit, but uh, yeah. but but certainly a lot more intelligent. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like me and you. Anyway, um, let's. Uh, I'll let you decide who's more intelligent because I think we both know the answer to that one. Uh, it's it's our wives. That's who's more intelligent. <laughs> exactly. Um, two more topics that I wanted to bring up, um, and we could actually make three if we wanted to. Let's well, let's make it three. Let's talk about um, uh, Ash and Laurel a little bit. I thought it was great to see the two of them together. We never thought we'd actually be able to see that because of what happened um, on uh, on Kronos uh, a few episodes back. Uh, I, I really like the look of Laurel right now. I thought she looked great in the scenes that she was in. It's She does a great job being able to show her emotions through all of that makeup that she still has to wear. And I'll tell you what, those eyes of hers are piercing. I, I was like, wow, I would not want to have her on my bad side or have me on her bad side. <laughs> I guess <laughs> is a better way to say it. Um, I, I like that there was some, dare I say, some finality to ash and laurel in this episode and i thought it was really really well played by both actors you know laurel does tyler a favor by calling out for him you know that he's pretty much loved michael burnham all along you know she she essentially in in wounding him in that way um also does him the biggest favor that that she could have done like saying yeah this uh this between us is over you're not you're not folk buddy you're not gonna be folk and and technically you're dead so we can't ever be together um but i mean ash has known this all along i think he's just been in denial because he still is having a hard time with uh Volk tyler Volk tyler and i i think that it, it's plain to us it's plain to laurel i think ash is just he's been deluding himself in this case yeah absolutely uh it was i did like the the discussion about uh, who is going to go down to the planet surface and they're having this argument and Pike's just kind of sitting back there going, okay, whatever. And then he finally stands, stands <laughs> up and says, I'll go, which we'll get to in just a few minutes. <laughs> really, uh, really wish I could understand Klingon here. <laughs> um, uh, p- please cease with the petty bickering. <laughs> <laughs> All these couple spats. I know, right? <laughs> Klingon couple fight on the next Star yes. Trek discovery. 
Exactly. Uh, speaking, I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to them for just one second. Mm-hmm. And one thing I wanted to say is, in relation to them and their son Tenevik, I'm throwing out my long range scan from earlier in the season that the albino baby is the albino from Deep Space Nine's blood oath. I don't think that's the case anymore. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And I think yeah. that at some point during the uh, the hiatus, we're going to talk about all of our long range scans <laughs> and their and their badness and. Uh, how we just totally struck out looking. <laughs> it's like, like the Red Sox right now. Yeah. Anyway, um, so let's talk about the cliffhanger because this did end in sort of a cliffhanger moment. Uh, everybody's on the bridge. Everything's great. There's a They're heading somewhere. I forget where they even heading because I wasn't paying attention to that part. But then all of a sudden, Section 31 ships start showing up, and it's bad. And they can't get rid of the sphere data. And Burnham comes up with the idea, the only thing that we can do is destroy the ship. And there's that dramatic look of every crew member thinking she's, is she crazy? But it's really the only thing that makes sense. And I found it interesting that not only did Pike agree to this, and by the way, Pike's whole persona is now different, which we'll get to in a few minutes again, but he agrees with it. And I found it very interesting that he made a verbal request slash order to make sure the self-destruct system was working as it's supposed to. I think that's going to play very important next week. It's going to play very important into my long range scan, but I liked how this um, ending of the episode set up, sending out the call to our favorite ship and uh, number one, we know what we're going to see next week. Well, and we saw the briefest snippet of that in the preview for next week, seeing a part of the enterprise bridge with number one at the helm, um, and it, it looks different, but it looks so familiar. It was so great to see. It really was. And I will say that I did not, I did not watch the, uh, preview until after I wrote my long range scan for this week. And I was like, huh, interesting. Okay. I got to say the scenes in the preview for next week, when we saw the actual ship, cause we barely saw the enterprise in episode one. Right. Epi- and, and episode three, I think it was, I forget. I, we're going to see a lot of it this week. And as a, a Twitter notice went out a couple of weeks ago, somebody was on the set of the bridge of the enterprise, but couldn't take any pictures, which everybody was like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God, we're going to see it. And we saw it in that quick snippet. There's so many familiar things to it yet. There's so there's some differences that, are really going to make it look wonderful. It was a repost of Alex Kurtzman's photo thank you. Uh, from Instagram. Yes, um, thank so, you. So, yeah, it was Alex Kurtzman that wasn't going to show us any pictures, and I'm glad right. he didn't. I'm Me too. Because <laughs> I, I, wa- I can't wait to see it you know, revealed, as I'm guessing. It looked like that shot was over Pike's shoulder. I'm hoping it's him in the turbo lift and the door opens, and we see it as he sees it, which yeah. I think would be perfect. With the sounds that we're familiar with and everything, it's it, it's just going to be fantastic. So, so the so the stage is set for next week. So, next week will be just phenomenal to watch. But we're going to go back to Bora for right now because what happened this week was what you as you said. This is what people are going to talk about for years and decades to come, and that's Pike and Tenevec going into the time crystal chamber. And I really didn't have any idea what was going on. But as soon as he said something about when the present and past meet your future, something or others, to open the door. When that door opened, I flew out of my chair and sat on the edge of it and said, oh, my God, Sue, we're going to see Wheelchair Pike in a minute. And and she was she was very excited as well. We saw Wheelchair Pike. We did. I did not expect to see what we saw. Dude, that was that was the most intense moment I think I have ever experienced in my entire life watching Star Trek. As we were watching that, I made the comment to you, this is kind of like the Bajoran orb of prophecy. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was very similar to that, but it, it provided much more context than that orb does. And so I'm watching it and we see the accident. I didn't imagine we were going to see the wheelchair until we see the long corridor behind Pike as he's touching his face. And sort of turn to the camera, and then you hear the respirator sound. Oh, the respirator! And my my eyes became about ten times bigger, and my jaw dropped because you just see the faintest hint of blue in the background, sort of coming into the picture and then turning, as if to to, to come down the hallway. And I have to say that uh, just brilliant, brilliant work by Doug Arniakoski. Um, that scene just looks so great. 
and the sound kudos to everybody that works on sound on discovery. It's just, I felt in the pit of my stomach, how horrible this was going to be just from the respirator. When, when he grabbed the crystal and it flashed to the bridge of the cadet ship, I, I dude, I squealed. I was like, Oh my God, it's the accident. And I was just, I could not, I could not, I could not comprehend what I was watching. It was that important to me. And when that explosion hit and he went flying across the deck and hit the glass and you saw those cadets crying and he looked up and that purple scar was on his face. I lost it. I lost it so much that I never saw the initial out of focus wheelchair at the end of the hall coming into the room. Yeah. I missed it because I was just totally so completely freaking out. And then as it got closer and closer and we saw this, the the wheelchair. And of course it does have some subtle changes because we're in 2019. It was gorgeous. It was awesome. Pike was awesome. The, the whole, the way his face was distorting with just that sheer was just horrific. And Anson, dude, you deserve every freaking award that there is for television just for that scene. When you yelled and flew back into the time crystals behind you and gave your speech, I don't think there is any fan on this planet who would have been watching that who wouldn't have thought that it was really happening. It was it was amazing. It's it, it. Everybody should be talking about an Emmy nomination for Anson Mount as Christopher Pike for the entire season. And this scene really just sort of puts the the cap on it for me. Um, we've talked all season long. We've given countless Starfleet commendations to Anson Mount for his portrayal of Christopher Pike. This role may have been originated by Jeff Hunter, but this role, Christopher Pike, belongs to Anson Mount for the, the humanity and the depth and the human quality that Christopher Pike exhibits. Yes. If it's not on the page, it doesn't happen. So kudos to every writer that has helped flesh this character out. But unless you have an actor performing at the level that that, that the material needs, it, it doesn't happen. And Anson Mount has superseded everybody's expectations. Um, and I just, I can't say enough good things about him. He is Christopher Pike. He is absolutely Christopher Pike. We have both said it this week. Um, I actually tweeted it out to him. I think you have as well. Pike is is my favorite captain. Yeah. It, the, the amount of what Anson has brought to this role has solidified him for all time as Chris Pike. And it is a and this captain seeing what this captain believes in and his strength and determination is is just amazing. And it's, it's because of what Anson brings to the role. The writers have done a phenomenal job in what Pike is going to be like. But if you have a guy who can't turn those words on paper into the character, then it means nothing. And he does much more than just take those words and turn it into the character. You know, people have been critical of Star Trek discovery because, you know, they say, you know, these people aren't fans and that's just not true. There are fans all throughout the Star Trek discovery production, um, including Bowie and Erica, including, uh, Anson Mount, you know, who is a, a big time original series guy. He is incredibly aware of the fact that this character is the origin of Star Trek canon. He said it. I mean, he knows what this character means. And he has taken this character and just added such amazing depth and and, and complexity um, to the point where I I have to believe that every Star Trek fan you know, regardless of whether they're a discovery fan or not would love this captain. We've said it before. We need to have a Pike series because of what we've seen with Anson Mount playing this character in this season to, to me. And I, I'm a fan. It's a no brainer that this would be an amazing series. We know what's going to happen in 10 years. Great. We don't know what's going to happen before that 10 years and the adventures that we can have. We, it's the same thing as TOS and TNG. It's these adventures that all of these characters have. And I, I for one, still want to see it. Hopefully, maybe we will someday. Even if we don't get a Pike series, dear CBS All Access, nothing says you can't produce a two-hour Christopher Pike movie every now and then with right. the crew of the Enterprise. I think that would be stellar. 
you know, the occasional journey with this, uh, or maybe a mini series from time to time with the enterprise crew. Uh, this, everybody loves Pike. I, I think it's time that, that the powers that be realized this and did something with it. It's funny at the beginning of the season on discovering Trek, I said that I hope that when Pike leaves the, for the season, when he's going back to the enterprise, he makes some offhanded comment about, Oh, he's off to help some cadets uh, uh, on a, on a training cruise, but the timing doesn't work right because it takes place 10 years. Never in my wildest dreams would I ever have imagined that we would have seen the accident and seen him face his future. Well, and carry this forward because that moment, as we've observed, is roughly 10 years away. Let's Mm -hmm. say somewhere between 9 and 10. And now every single day, Christopher Pike has to live with the knowledge that this is how his life changes. He may not have foreseen this ending, but he knows this is what awaits him. uh, That is an incredible weight for somebody to carry. Does it change the way he interacts with his crew? Does it change the way he makes his command decisions? Does he wonder, does he get up every day wondering, well, is today the day? Um, Is this the day that I become uh, a guy in a wheelchair who can't speak? (sighs) And dude, the scream, when you realize that Pike in the wheelchair is trying to scream, that really is what sold that scene. Um, That's what really horrified me the most, that they were both screaming and both horrified. Brilliant, brilliant show. Well, we've reached that moment of discovering Trek where we take a moment to pause and reflect on those we have lost in this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. It's the somber part of our show, but we feel it's the least we can do for those that have paid the ultimate price. We like to call it the Red Shirt Roll Call. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. So Bill, as a kid, you know, we'd go outside in the summer and play and, and, and it, it'd be hot out and we'd, and we'd want a treat to help us cool off. And popsicles were always a big thing back when we were kids. Why am I saying that, my friend? I think you got a, I got a reason for it. <laughs> <laughs> you might, you might, Rabbit, you might. Uh, Dan, this week we say a tearful farewell to the Section 31 crew on Gant's ship or perhaps Gantbot 5000. Uh, Discovery loves its meat popsicles, just putting people into space and letting them freeze. And we had our fair share in this episode. We don't know what the crew compliment is for one of those Section 31 vessels, but we're sure it's a sizable number. Meat pops for everybody. And Dan, we also say goodbye to the hopes, the dreams, and the retirement goals of Captain Christopher Pike. Guess he won't be riding that horse anytime soon, anywhere other than the illusions of Talos 4. I know too soon, too soon. Um, we, we do love Captain Pike, but uh, perhaps he wants to take a look at his 401k and liquidate some of that before he can't. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was not, I did not know that that was part of the red shirt roll call this week on our notes. And you're reading that, and I think my jaw hit the floor. So thanks for that. Too um, soon? <laughs> a little bit. But now that my mouth is open, I think we're going to raise a glass of Synthahol and say cheers as we say goodbye to everyone that we lost and someone's goals for retirement in this week's red shirt roll call. You kind of looked like Captain Pike as he was trying to scream in the chair just then. I just want to point that out. (laughs) My God, you're going to hell. (laughs) Dan, this week's episode is brought to you by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for discovering Trek this and every week. As always, we love to talk about their amazing line of pin products and collectibles. I go on their website all the time, and I'm picking up pins that I don't have yet. And I'm going, oh, I like this one. I like that one. Recently, Dan, I just got the Pike in the wheelchair from the original, from the Menagerie, from the Fansets website. It's a beautiful pin, as all of the Fansets pins are. And I, I display it proudly on the wall of my cubicle at work. And every now and then I look at them and I go, boop. Yeah. Too soon? it's going to be too soon for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Having a lot of fun with the Pike stuff. But you know, every month, I have to say, the Fansets folks are releasing new pins to add to your collection, and this month is absolutely no different. Everyone's favorite Denobulin, or Denobulian, as Dan likes to say, Dr. Flox is available right now at Fansets.com, and later this month on the 15th, you can add Chief Miles Edward O'Brien to your collection. That's right. I love that guy. I can't wait to make him a permanent part of my fansets collection. And we're still trying to determine if it's with or without that molar he lost in the episode tribunal. 
I guess we'll have to I guess we'll have to seek clarification on that from Lou and John. So everybody, everybody listening, do yourself a favor, head on over to fansets.com, put a bunch of pins and maybe even some pin accessories in your cart. And at checkout, be sure to enter this week's exclusive checkout code Destiny. That's D-E-S-T-I-N-Y in all capital letters. Use that code and you're going to get 15% off your entire order at fansets.com. Now, this code is going to be available to use until Sunday, April 14th, 2019 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Denoblian? Really? You had to go there? <laughs> hey, what can I say? I wanted everybody who loves Denoblians and Denoblians exclusively to know that that pin was available. Appreciate that. Um, it's it's amazing, though, when you think about it. They're adding these pins every month. They have close to 200 pins now at Fansets, and that is just for Star Trek. In addition to Star Trek, they have other great genres like DC and Harry Potter and Alien, just to name a few. And speaking of Alien, guys and girls, anyone going to Starfest in Denver, Colorado, April 26th through the 28th, 2019, definitely stop by and say hi to the folks at Fansets and get your exclusive Starfest alien pin. It is gorgeous. There's a grown-up alien. He's all grown-up. And there's also a chest burster in the same pin. It looks fantastic. You will love it. And uh, as for Trek fans, Fansets has all kinds of cool things on the horizon, like the new reimagined Macro Fleet line of ship pins, and the Uniform series of pins, which will have actual fabric from uniforms worn on the set of Discovery. 2019 looks to be an amazing year for Fansets releases, and we look forward to sharing all the great details with you. Fansets, we are Star Trek, and as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being the exclusive sponsor for the entire season of Discovering Trek. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Star Trek has always been a reflection of our times, and here in this segment, we'll take a look at what this episode helps us discover about humanity, or perhaps even what it tells us about ourselves. And Bill, if it's all right with you, I'm going to go ahead and start this week. Um, This season has had a recurring theme about family, and I've talked about that a few times at least. But I also noticed a theme that has been brought up a couple of times in just the last few weeks. Now, normally I would say that continued repetition of an idea could be taken as lazy or bad writing, but in the case of Discovery, it is anything but. A few weeks ago, Michael was willing to risk her life to catch the Red Angel and try to help prevent the destruction of, well, everything. And that willingness to risk her life was strongly protested by Captain Pike, not wanting to put her in danger. She said basically that, as we all are familiar with, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And I said that in my humanity segment a few weeks ago. Now we have Captain Pike doing the exact same thing. And to make it even more amazing, he had a chance to prevent what his future will look like, but he chose to make that future unavoidable. And he did it precisely because the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. His beliefs in Starfleet and the mission supersede his own well-being even after he saw firsthand what his future held for him. To see that, in my humble opinion, is worse than death itself. He now has to live with the fact of what's going to happen, and he doesn't know when it's going to happen. Can you imagine the pressure and despair of that? Because I can't. He doesn't even know if the plan for defeating control will work, yet he grabbed the crystal to seal his own fate. And this is a supreme example of humanity putting the good and safety of fellow man ahead of him or herself. Could you do the same? Could you ignore a future like the one Pike saw and still be able to do what's needed and what is right? It's a horrifying and gut-wrenching dilemma, and one that I would love to hear people th- people's thoughts on. What would you do? Could you make that decision in a moment's notice? Discovery shows us that humanity and the want to protect people is still alive in the 23rd century, and we need more of that here in the 21st bill selflessness you know it's a word we hear a lot and one that we try to aspire to but there is perhaps no better example in the star trek universe than that of christopher pike he seals his own fate knowing that at some point he will meet a destiny that he never imagined nor could have 
to most of us, selflessness is defined by the time we donate or the people we help. And that's all well and good, but true selflessness is so much more. I'm the son and grandson of United States Marines and the brother of police dispatcher, all of whom have seen people on the worst days of their life. They and millions like them throughout our history have chosen to put others ahead of themselves. Like Chris Pike, they believe in a greater good and know that they can make a difference. You don't need to wear a uniform, though, to know that your deeds do good. None of us knows what our future is, so we have to make the most of here and now. And a little kindness and selflessness would go a long way. Commendation, Palm Leaf of Axanar Peace Mission, Grand Kite Order of Tactics, Class of Excellence, Frenteris Ribbon of Commendation. Okay, let's think happy thoughts now. <laughs> it's time for happy thoughts. Starfleet commendations, always a fun time. Let's see uh, who you picked, Bill, to receive uh, your commendations this week. I have a feeling that ours might line up uh, kind of similarly. Uh, so let's go ahead. What do you got for us? Well, I'm going to, uh, I, I, I suspect that we're going to line up uh, pretty well. I'm going to start with one I, I don't think you have, and that is uh, Ken Mitchell, my first Starfleet commendation of the week. Like I said earlier, I want him to play all the Klingons. And now we need him to play Kalish. But with Tenevec, he really created a different Klingon character from the ones that he's portrayed before. And it was really something kind of great. I hope that there's a moment somewhere in the future where we get a, a scene with Laurel and Tenevec, or maybe even Tyler and Tenevec, because I think that would be some really interesting dynamics there. My second commendation has to go out to Bowie and Erica and Doug. And of course, I am speaking of uh, Bo Young Kim, Erica Lapolt, and Doug Arniakoski. This team has been responsible for some of the best work between the short treks and season two of Star Trek Discovery. And this episode is right there with the best of them. Without hyperbole, I think that Bowie and Erica are the best writers in Star Trek today. And I don't mean offense to anybody else writing for the series. They are just that good. And Doug has turned in some of the best episodes of the season as well. I will watch anything the three of these people work on from here on in because I know what the quality will be. And lastly, my final combination of the episode has to be Anson Mount. Like I said before, Chris Pike may have originated this role, but it belongs to Anson. Um, this such amazing performance all season long, topped off by this episode. I can't wait to see what he brings us in the remaining two as this Pike character has evolved throughout season two of Star Trek Discovery. I was a complete wreck after this week, and um, I, I can only imagine what the remaining two weeks will be like. Dan? Yeah, they're similar. <laughs> first of all, uh, my first commendation has to go to Bowie Kim and Erica Lippold. Uh, I said it before and I'll say it again. The future of Star Trek is in very, very capable hands with these two amazing women. Every time their names come up on screen as the writers of an episode, I know it's going to be an amazing ride. And this week's ride was the most freaking amazing ride I can remember because I was just completely blown away. And related to that, my other commendation this week has to go to Anson Mount. Captain Pike, I felt his pain. I felt his horror. I felt his despair. And it was all because of how Anson portrayed those scenes in the time crystal chambers of Boreth. And later on in his ready room, when you could see how affected he was by the decision he had to make. I, I talked about this a few minutes ago. I said that Pike, when Pike leaves the show, I wanted to see that he was heading off to save some trainees, but the timing wasn't right. So I figured we wouldn't really be able to ever see what happens. Oh, how wrong I was. Cause I got way more than I bargained for. It was spectacular. And as you said on Twitter this week, Bill, I was rocked to my very core because of how Anson portrayed those scenes. They were brilliant. Long range scan of planet complete. So as we continue to um, recover from what happened with this week's episode, Bill, I know that there's still some there's still a maniacal AI that wants to destroy all sentient life in the galaxy, uh, and we still have a couple of episodes to try to wrap those things up. Um, so we're going to talk about long range scans right now. We're going to talk about what we think is going to happen for uh, the next two weeks, or maybe even later on in the season. And I got I got kind of a lengthy one, so so here goes. The, uh, the sphere data we know cannot be destroyed, 
and the crew can't risk trying to transfer somewhere else again because we saw what happened when they tried to do that once by shooting it into the Red Angel suit. Um, it's stuck on Discovery. Burnham suggested at the end of this episode to destroy the ship, and Pike agrees with that and orders to verify that the self-destruct system is working normally. What I think is going to happen is they're going to try to destroy Discovery so that the data can't be uh, obtained by control. But since the sphere data wants to live, it will sabotage the self-destruct system to prevent it from happening. So after, so after Pike promotes Saru to captain, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, he's going to head back to the Enterprise. They're going to get the time crystal somehow worked into Discovery's engines, kind of like the Romulan cloaking device in Enterprise Incident or even the Pegasus. They're going to abandon ship and they're going to send that ship 950 years into the future where we saw it in the short Trek Calypso. But here's the kicker. I've been saying this for a while now. One person has to remain on Discovery to make sure that the ship gets sent to the future as planned. So they have to sacrifice themselves. Someone's going to do that so that they can prevent the destruction of all sentient life in the galaxy. Bill? Well, Dan, if that point is true, just to piggyback on yours for a second, I think that person's going to be Jet Reno. Uh, And I can think of no other character I'd like to see marooned 900 years in the future. (laughs) 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 Even though you and I disagree on that being what's going to happen. Um, uh, if that's, is what's going to happen, I think it'll have to be Reno. I, I, I don't think that it'll be a, a regular and I hope it's not. So my long range scan this week is I think that we're going to see the official end of section 31 this season before they become a completely black ops organization that works off the books up until now, they've been kind of like the Starfleet police. And I think that as a result of the control fiasco and then this, uh, this attack on the enterprise and the discovery under the, uh, the auspices of control, I think that section 31 will be, uh, shuttered. And, uh, before of course, uh, they get to carry on as a small group like mission impossible. So that's, uh, that, that's that half of my Starfleet. Uh, I'm sorry, my long range scan. I also think that we're going to see the enterprise take some significant damage this week. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of stuff that happens to the Big E, and it's it's going to be painful each time. <laughs> Lastly, I think we're going to see Dr. Burnham again next week, and I think that she's going to have a significant role to play in the finale. What are we, O for something? Uh, no, for something? I'm at least one. I think I'm one. No, you're kind of 0.5. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm one for uh, for 12 at this point. So show off (laughs) well as we've been talking about we had kind of a cliffhanger next week starts the finale process with the with the two-parter bill so um what can we look forward to next week oh man (laughs) (laughs) you sound like you need a break you should rest up for this one because next week we're going to consider the penultimate episode of this season of star trek discovery and the first part of a two-part season finale titled such sweet sorrow Say that 10 times fast. Section 31 takes on the Discovery and another ship that we love to see whenever we can. And this ain't going to be good. I'm just going to throw that out there. Until then, of course, remember, you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or by heading on over to discoveringtrek.com. Plus, now you can support Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts by subscribing to bonus content via Patreon. Get access to our Carpool Conversations videos and other exclusive content. See the first of our annual supporters pins from Fansets, and check out our exclusive Podfleet t-shirt design along with so many other perks. You know, speaking of Patreon, Bill, we want to take a moment to recognize the following amazing producers of Discovering Trek. We are so thankful for their support. Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lionel Marshan, Scott Vashon, Mike Bovia, Harry Michelson, Norman Lau, Patrick Escudero, Sean O'Halloran, and the amazingly eyebrow-talented Matt McGonigal. <laughs> <laughs> if you... And everybody else would like to become a producer of Discovering Trek or even get access to the raw audio for Discovering Trek episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks, where subscription levels start for as little as $1 per month. Well, folks, uh, that is it for our discussion on Through the Valley of Shadows. It was 
it was something else. Uh, and it's setting up to what I believe is going to be, like I said, the red wedding of season two. Uh, the climax of the season is going to start next week with an amazing episode, Such Sweet Sorrow. Well, hit us up on Facebook and Twitter to let us know what you thought about the episode and, and what you think about Discovering Trek as well. We're always looking to hear from fans as to what they think about the show and how we can improve or keep things going. We thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to us talk about this amazing new chapter in the Star Trek universe. And as I said, we look forward to sitting down next week to talk about episode 13 and such sweet sorrow, such sweet sorrow, such sweet I'm not going to say it 10 times like you asked, Bill. I'm sorry. Until then, here are some words that define the one and only Captain Christopher Pike. You're a Starfleet captain. You believe in service, sacrifice, compassion and love i'm not going to abandon the things that make me who i am because of a future that contains an ending that i had not foreseen for myself and until next week never stop discovering music for discovering trek is provided by five-year mission they're writing one song for each episode of the original star trek download their music at fiveyearmission.net Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks, executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com.